Just 48 hours ago on Friday, we were at St. Paul's just a few blocks away at a joint Good Friday service. It was a beautiful service. And our friend, the Reverend Dr. Frank Wade, preached a fantastic sermon, as Frank always does. He reminded us that as easy as it is for us to dismiss Caiaphas and Pilate as terrible, evil, horrible people, the fact is they are us. That is, they are regular people making decisions based on whatever is set before them. Our Christian memory, our Christian story, our history holds them forth as those who destroyed the Messiah when really they were people. According to Frank, Pilate's fateful decision is one we all make. That is, he looked at Jesus and in his West Virginia parlance, Frank said, Pilate saw Jesus as a no count. That is, he wasn't worth saving. He wasn't worth Pilate's time or Pilate's political capital. So Pilate washed his hands of Jesus and probably intended to forget all about him. And again, according to Frank, Pilate is all of us. With a limited capacity to care for others, we too make decisions about who we care for and how much we are willing to stand up for those that need our help. We too wash our hands of people we find too difficult, too complicated, too discomforting, or just not compelling enough to care about. Pilate is us. We are Pilate. We are responsible through our limited imaginations, our limited attention, our limited desire for the pain and suffering of so many people in our world, those we know, those we will never know. Our hands are as bloody as Pilate's were and we cannot wash them clean. Right about now, you are wondering if I received the memo that today is Easter. <laughs> Trust me, friends, I'm getting there, don't worry. We cannot wash our hands clean. We cannot because that job has already been done. We have been forgiven. Death has been conquered. Proof that we are beloved children of a loving God has presented to us once and for all. Jesus has been raised from the dead. No sin in the world, even the sins of willful ignorance, nonchalant complicity, bored apathy to the evil that pervades our world, even those cannot stand in the way of this profound forgiveness. Thanks be to God. My dear friend Katie is a Presbyterian pastor, and she introduced me to the Presbyterian's brief statement of faith. 
which as part of the confessional nature of the statement contains the line, we deserve God's condemnation. We deserve God's condemnation. That tiny little line packs a big punch for the truth contained in it. It is true. We do deserve it. But for reasons inexplicable and unfathomable, we do not have God's condemnation. We have instead abiding, unwavering, incomparable, and unconditional love. Unconditional love. There's nothing else in the universe that even comes close to the unconditional love that God has for each of us. Not a thing, nothing, nada. And there's nothing we can do to lose that love, though Lord knows we've tried. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are free. But my friends, we are still responsible. In fact, I would posit that we are even more responsible than those who do not know about or believe in that unconditional love. Those who do not proclaim the resurrection, those who do not sing alleluias with the saints and angels this morning. Our hands are indeed washed clean of guilt and complicity of blood when we are marked as Christ's own forever at our baptism. But we are not relieved of our responsibility. We are in fact given the mantle of even greater responsibility once we are welcomed into the body. Because when we make our baptismal vows and when we renew them year after year, we promise to resist evil, to proclaim the good news, to strive for justice and peace, to respect the dignity of every single beloved child of God. They are not light promises that we make and renew every year. They are promises made to God. They are a covenant. And they mean that it is up to us. It's up to us to work to free the rest of the world from the reign of evil. It is up to us to feed and clothe and comfort and nurture. It is up to us to give of ourselves over and over and over and give from a posture of gratitude. It is up to us. And that's more than just a little terrifying. The world can be a frightening and cruel and nasty place. And I, for one, have been known to stick my head deep into the sand more than once just to survive to the end of the day. I'm limited. I am just one little person. And so are you. And the needs of the hurting world are so very great. But my friends, being a Christian is a massive responsibility. It's not just a social club. It's a faith. It's a system of belief rooted in love of neighbor and everything that goes along with that love. And sometimes your neighbor is someone you've never met. 
Sometimes it's someone with whom you fundamentally disagree. Sometimes it is someone that could hurt you. And we are mandated by that same God who loves us unconditionally to pull our heads up out of the sand and love them. In our resurrection gospel from John this morning, Mary comes to the tomb not in hope in order to see an empty tomb. She comes to see the body of one she loved so much. She comes because she is deeply, deeply sad. She comes to mourn because the inattention and apathy of the world has killed off the tiny seed of hope planted in her by Jesus. But her grief is first replaced with confusion when he is not where they had left him. And in John's gospel, we don't have any more feeling words about what she's doing when she actually recognizes him in the garden, risen and speaking directly to her. Our other three gospels tell us that the women in the tomb are terrified and they are afraid. But in John, she just seems stunned, speechless which is frankly a pretty reasonable reaction because this is terrifying, stunning stuff. Angels and ghostly gardeners and no longer dead messiahs. And if God could do this, if Jesus could really come back, then God's power really was limitless. Even death was no longer to be feared. The fact of the resurrection is that there are no more excuses left. Not fear, not grief, not confusion, no excuses, not a single one. There is nothing left standing in the way of getting our hands really dirty not with blood this time, but with the hard work of banishing evil. Do not be afraid, my friends. You are made in the image of a God who created the world and everything in it. You are made in the image of a God who came down from heaven to experience the world as you do. You are made in the image of God who destroyed death for you, made in that image, can you be anything other than powerful against the evil that would like to corrupt and destroy this beautiful world? And made for such love, can you be anything other than responsible for using that power to the very best of your ability? No, you can't. You can't be anything other than perfect in the eyes of God. Perfect in your action, perfect in your inaction, in your confidence and your confusion, in your grief and in your joy. You are perfectly chosen for this work in this time. So, Christ is risen. 
The trumpet has sounded, the lilies are out. We have shouted our alleluias. We have broken the silence of the rising sun. And soon we will gather at this table to commune together, you and me and all of us. And then we will go out those doors into the world. What will you do after that? You have choices. You can continue on as you have been, unchanged, quietly beloved and forgiven, or you can go out into the world proclaiming these alleluias in your words and in every action. You can respond to your belovedness your forgivenness by shedding fear and grabbing hold of your power to respond to the gospel. Live your baptismal covenant out loud. Live these alleluias out in the world because my friends, Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Amen.